this last week, I was in Nashville meeting with uh, Steve Merle, who is the president of Every Nation, as well as his son, actually, Dr. William Merle. And we were uh, working on some courses that, uh, course that we're developing for Every Nation Seminary. And every time I'm in the, uh, the kind of the headquarters or whatever you want to call it for Every Nation is in Nashville. And every time I'm there, I am so grateful for the spiritual family that we're a part of. It's just uh, such quality people who love Jesus and uh, love this community. Pastor Steve uh, brings his greetings to all of you and who have such a heart for missions and for outreach. It's just such a, a healthy, beautiful, visionary family. And it's always so great to just be able to be around everybody and experience what's going on down there. So, uh, But it's always great to come back home. And we're in the middle of a series right now called Turning Points. And the whole idea of this series is to say that our decisions matter. That sometimes we can go in kind of one of two directions. We can have so much pressure on our decisions... We feel that life is about our performance and not really about Jesus. Or we can just give up and be so overwhelmed that we just don't try to think about anything and try to kind of coast through life. And so we're trying to have a healthy view of how do we look at these turning points in our life, these decisions that we make, and how to view them through eyes of faith and through what Jesus is doing in and through us. Today, we are looking at the book of Esther, and the, one of the primary figures in that book, his name is Mordecai. And I'm going to read out, we have a, just a, a quick summary of the whole book. It was too hard to kind of go through different passages. So you'll see it in the notes, they come up on the screen. We'll just read this summary and then uh, jump into looking at some particular points. Mordecai is a Jewish exile in Persia who raised his cousin Esther after her parents died. King Xerxes chose her to be queen after Queen Vashti publicly shamed him. He, she asked uh, her to do something. She said no. It was a huge embarrassment. And so he chose a new queen. During that time, Mordecai told Esther of an assassination plot, and the king was saved because of Mordecai's information that kind of went through Esther. Later, because of his faith or ethnicity, Mordecai would not publicly honor an official named Haman. And Haman is kind of not a nice person if you, if you read through this uh, book. Uh, insulted, Haman tried to kill not only Mordecai, but all the Jews in the empire. Again, Mordecai informed Esther, and the king killed Haman and his family, honored Mordecai, and let the Jews defend themselves against their enemies. It was an amazing victory. Jews still celebrate Purim in remembrance of that victory. So there, you don't have to read the book anymore. It's all there for you. This is what went on in the book of Esther. So this is a story about a decisive turning point in Israel's history. They're in exile. Things are not going well. And you have this amazing moment in which it looks like the people of the Jews are going to be destroyed. And the opposite happens. They get vindication. They're able to then conquer their enemies. And they're able to live in peace in the land. So what we want to, the question that we want to ask today is, how did Mordecai secure the power of a king to overthrow his own enemies? So how'd that happen? How did you have just a, he's just a guy, and uh, he ends up having the king, the most powerful person in the world at that time, do his bidding 
and what he's hoping would happen uh, with his people, the Jews. How did all that happen? How did he relate to this authority figure in such a way that these amazing things came about? But what we see in the book of Esther is people relating to power, authority figures, King Xerxes in particular, we see how they relate in three different ways. And so what I'd like you to think about is think about the authority figures in your life. Could be a, uh, a parent or a boss, a politician, uh, maybe even a church leader. But think about the leaders in your life and what we see in this book is three possible ways. I'm sure there's more, but we're just looking at the book of Esther. Three ways that people related to authority figures. The first one is through defiance, and this is Queen Vashti. In chapter 1, verse 12, it says, Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's request. So what we can do, and, and uh, by the way, this is a time, if you want to look at, at, at sexism and chauvinism, I mean, it's just, uh, it's just rampant. And so you see uh, women in general, and Queen Vashti in particular, not being honored or respected well. And so her response is just to rebel, say, no, I'm not going to buy into that anymore. And uh, I'm just going to do, do what I think is right. And I'm not going to do your bidding anymore. So we can have that view of leaders, can't we? We can look at them and say, you're, you're so wrong and the way that I'm being treated is, is so unjust that I'm just going to defy your leadership. I'm not going to, I'm going to revolt and do what I think is right. That's option number one. Uh, uh, what this option doesn't necessarily consider, and it's a very sobering verse, it's in Romans 13, verse 1. It says, there is no authority except that which God has established. Now, I don't know about you, but that's really hard. So you think of, the, you think of the, all the leaders in your life, and somehow God has established those leaders in your life, even though they may not be very great people. But somehow God is in the middle of that is, uh, is sometimes a hard pill to swallow, isn't it? It's hard to, to grab hold of that. But what's the result of her defiance? She rises up against Xerxes, uh, exercises her strength and muscle, her right to oppose, and the result is she's banished, and you never hear about her again. The second option is characterized in Haman, and this is about deception. Now, Haman is the kind of guy, he's in the king's court, he has a fair amount of influence, but you get the idea all through the book that he's gotten to where he is through simply being manipulative and using Xerxes to promote his own agendas. He doesn't look like a very great guy, and uh, he gets insulted by Mordecai and then uses the king's power to destroy not to, to try to destroy not only Mordecai but all the Jews because he doesn't like any of them. We're going to find out why in a moment. And so he says in, in chapter 3, verse 8, he says, it's not in the king's best interest to tolerate these people. Well, it has nothing to do with the king. He doesn't like these people, and he's trying to manipulate the king to get what he wants. So that's a way to behave, isn't it? You can look at your boss and say, I don't really like you, but I could really use a job. And uh, I like my wage, 
And so I'm just going to be nice to you and do what I think is not best for you, it's just best for me. And so I'll look like I'm respecting you, really I don't, but I'll, I'll look like I'm respecting you because I have something, you have some things that I want. It's deception. The verse here that counteracts this is Luke 18, 17. It says, every secret thing will be made known. And so this deceptive way of relating to authority finally comes to light, and the result is he's killed, he's impaled on a pole. You know, the, the, the Bible is just not subtle, but he's impaled on a pole, and then all of his children are impaled after they're killed. Like the whole thing is just not great. I mean, for Haman. Um, but this is what ends up happening, is that this deception comes to light, and him and his whole household are destroyed. The third example that we see in this book is devotion. And Mordecai is the one who kind of uh, models this. In chapter 2, verse 22, it says, Mordecai found out about a plot to assassinate, which we already referred to, a plot to assassinate King Xerxes, and told Queen Esther, who in turn reported to the king, they found out that the uh, plot was in fact true, and they were able to deal with it before any harm came to the king. Now, here's what's interesting about this. Um, king Xerxes is just not a very great, like he's just a, well, he's just a regular king, I suppose. But uh, he, he doesn't look great. And Mordecai is defending and looking out for the well-being of the king. And as a result of his kindness towards the king, he ends up not only saving himself, but all, the, all of the Jews who Haman was trying to kill. So somehow he serves the king genuinely for the king's benefit, and later it turns out that the king becomes the very one that, uh, that saves all of the Jewish people. Fascinating. So here's our, here's our point. We're looking at, uh, we're looking in this series, we're looking at the idea of turning points. And so we're looking at how people made decisions that God used and their life turned around. What's interesting about Mordecai is that the opposite, in a sense, is true. A nation is turned, the Jewish people, they are churned by him not churning. So what we see about Mordecai is that he is a man of principle. And he lives in a particular way by certain principles that guide him. And he doesn't seem to churn from them very much. He stays true to some principles, which we're going to look at in a moment. He stays true to these principles. He doesn't churn. And as a result of his consistency, a whole nation churns because of him. This is fascinating to think about. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was Paul who said this to me years ago, and I've never forgotten it. And so don't disagree because, you, you know, you're just getting free airtime. But, uh, but he said that he was talking to a very old gentleman who has been going to the church all of his life. And I've said this before just because I like it so much. And it, it speaks of what Mordecai is like. 
But he, uh, as, as old people can only do, he says, you know, you young people, he says, when you, uh, when you go to church, you decide that morning or that day whether you're going to go to church. He says, I made a decision to go to church when I was five years old. I just made that decision when I was five. And I don't know how old he was at this point, but that dis- it just never changed. I just think this is a fascinating idea that making a decision once that becomes a life principle becomes a guiding force for the rest of our life. One of the things that's noted about the book of Esther is that it's the only book in the Bible that doesn't actually mention God. All the other books in the Bible mention God. The book of Esther does not. Perhaps this is because God inhabits godly principles. And he's working in behind the scenes in these things, these godly uh, principles that have been established in our life. He works behind the scenes as we walk in integrity and godliness and righteousness. And his name doesn't even need to be mentioned because he's, he's moving through the life of a man like Mordecai. So when I think about principles, they are contrasted with me in my mind, uh, by how I think I think and maybe a lot of us think. And uh, it's this idea that in any given moment in time, uh, in order to have integrity, I need to make a, uh, my, my decisions need to be genuine, meaning that I need to feel good about them in that moment. And so it feels like our decisions are often made in moments of what we think is best in that moment. And it doesn't seem very common today that we would have principles being the the guiding force in our life. Like, how could this apply to this moment? Like, for sure, our moments in life are super exceptional, and how could principles ever capture the uniqueness of moments? Yet we see in the life of Mordecai Somebody who just lives by certain things that he believes is true. And I'd like us to look at three of these things today that I think are absolutely remarkable. And we're going to be looking at bowing, believing, and building, because that's fun. The first thing that we notice is what we've already referenced, in that he bowed to a king. And what's most notable about this king is not only his power and his opulence, which is what a, uh, the first chapter of Esther goes into is, is how, I mean, this is, a, this is the person of, of great power, great influence, incredible riches. And, uh, uh, but not necessarily a great moral character. Esther does the same thing that Mordecai does. Esther becomes a queen who is, you know, you think of, uh, uh, what are the, you know, a beauty pageant. And I, I can't think of anything more demeaning, <laughs> I'm sorry, than a beauty pageant. It just seems to uh, be disrespectful, perhaps. At least in my mind, maybe you have another perspective. But uh, not understanding the full depth of a person. And she just goes with that. She becomes a queen, a queen because she's pretty. And she's fine with that. 
And in that position, she then has tremendous sway and influence to, to bless a whole ethnicity. That's just different, isn't it? Like, shouldn't we all be insulted by that? Maybe she was. But somehow, she was able, and Mordecai was able, to have a principle that somehow superseded a personal insult. That is just absolutely remarkable. Quite a while ago, uh, Jonathan was uh, making reference to the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, verse 9, and it says, Blessed are the peacemakers. And this was actually a, a derogatory term that uh, I didn't know, but I now understand it to be true. That it was, uh, it was a term given to Jews who people felt had compromised and were now living in uh, a cooperation with Rome. Instead of standing up for what the Jews believed, believed and stood for, they had compromised, and so they were seen as, as peacemakers, and that was a derogatory term. The reason why they did that is because they actually believed that the Romans were executing judge, God's judgment against them, and to rebel against Rome would be to rebel against God. What a remarkable idea that a guiding principle would be to bow to a leader. What a, what a remarkable principle. A, a, a guiding light in our life. Jeremiah 29.7 says this, But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. And so we see in Scripture this idea that even in uh, uh, nations that have, have you know, o they overpowered the Jews, um, the Bible makes it clear that it's, it's part of God's judgment. But nevertheless, in this place of exile, you're to pray for the blessing of people who have conquered you and abused you and your family in innumerable ways. This is, uh, this is a radical thought. That's uh, principle number one that we see Mordecai operating in all through his life. And then we see almost a contrasting principle, and it's about believing. Now, here's something that you just have to know, so just bear with me. For, for two minutes, because you just have to know this in order to make sense of the story. So Mordecai is introduced as being a descendant of Saul, King Saul. Uh, Haman was introduced as being an Agagite from the king Agag, which was an Amalekite. Now, Saul was told by God through the prophet Samuel, was told to destroy all the Amalekites. Saul did not do that. And as a result, you still have Amalekites, and you have Haman, who is a descendant of them. Now, what you find then in Esther is 
uh, is Mordecai ends up doing what his descendant Saul did not do, which was to destroy the enemies of Israel. That's kind of an interesting point. So what we see is you see someone who bows to a king, and then you see that when Haman comes by, who is the archenemy of, who should have been killed back a long time ago, he won't bow down to him. How do you make that decision? How do you decide when to bow and when not to bow? But there's something inside of Mordecai who's comfortable with bowing to worldly authorities, but there's something else, another guiding principle that is is characterized in Acts 5, verse 29. We must obey God, not human authority. And some things can't be compromised. So you don't just have this blind obedience to all authority figures. You have the exact same person as a a principle of submission also has a principle of believing something that will not allow me to submit. A number of months ago, when we were in the middle of COVID, I know we're still in the middle of it in lots of ways, but when it was in the front of our minds, perhaps more than it is now, I think unless you work in a hospital. But uh, people were saying, should we get a vaccine or should we not? That was a really big thing. And people were working through that and trying to be genuine in how they were relating to authority figures and deciding whether that was something to a personal right that was being uh, uh, violated or whether that was something that was loving and right to do. And uh, here today, I'm still, I'm sure we still have people who are on the, that spectrum of convictions, of beliefs. But there's something that we talked about then that I think is just a very helpful guiding principle, and it's this. Um, we don't refuse to follow leaders because they sin. We refuse to follow leaders when they ask us to sin. I think that's a very helpful principle. If you and I decide never to follow a leader unless they're perfectly righteous, you will never follow anyone. I've never met a perfect leader yet. I've never met one. But if that leader uh, calls you to sin by obeying, by asking you to disobey God's commands, then you have to obey God, not human authority. And that's super clear in Scripture, that our ultimate submission is to Christ and to what he commands us to do. So we see another guiding principle inside of Mordecai, that I, if I am being called to violate a, a, a conviction from God, I can't violate that conviction. So we see bound, we see believing, and finally, we see another fascinating guiding principle in Mordecai's life. And they all are in relation to authority, and it's about building. And it's simply this, that Mordecai invested his life in making Esther great. We find in chapter 2, verse 7, that she's orphaned, and he says, I'll be be your father. 
I'll look out for you. He, uh, she gets the opportunity to, uh, to try out for becoming a queen. And then he gives instructions. This is what I want you to do. This is what I don't want you to do. And then she is, uh, she's being prepared to meet the, the, the king. And all during that time, he is looking out for her, finding out what's going on and how she's doing. And then it all seems to culminate in chapter 4, verse 14. He gives some advice that if you read the book of Esther, this is the pinnacle of the book. And uh, he's asking Esther to say something about what Haman is doing and to actually ask King Xerxes to intervene. And this is a, this could cost her life by approaching the king uh, without being invited. She could die because of it. And so this is uh, Mordecai's motivational speech for Esther to do what he believes is the right thing to do. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. What we find inside of Mordecai is the absence of self-promotion and the commitment to make those around him great. It's absolutely remarkable that he is more concerned about Esther being who she needs to be than about him having some sort of notoriety or any kind of fame or any kind of promotion. I think these are fascinating building blocks, particularly in how we relate to authority figures. That there's something in our heart that we've committed to do, which is to bow. If somebody is an authority figure in our life, we will submit to their authority. We've settled that in our heart when we were five years old or tonight. But we've settled it in our hearts. And we've also settled in our hearts that there is a king above all kings, and that if we're asked to, uh, to do something that would disobey him, then he always is our first allegiance. And that's a guiding principle. We don't serve others to the point where we actually sin against God. And finally, our whole reason for doing all of these things is not for a self-serving agenda. That there's something inside of us that we care more about other people becoming great than about us becoming great. What is uh, surprising about Mordecai in the end, a man who is only concerned about the welfare of the king, the welfare of his people, and the welfare of Esther, he ends up being second in command in all of the kingdom of Persia. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. Never seeks it, is not looking for it, and he's, he's second only to the king himself. That's absolutely amazing. So let me ask in, uh, let me state this in conclusion. Unwavering godly principles do at least three things that we see at least in this book. I'm sure there's other things going on. And there's other principles to live by. We're just trying to look at the book of Esther. Unwavering godly principles churn powers. They churn political powers. They advance God's kingdom 
and they multiply blessings. And others, just blessing upon blessing. I have, as I, as I pray for our church community and I pray for our city, I am consistently convicted that the primary stumbling block that you and I embrace is authority figures and the issue of authority in our life. I have built, I, I have sought as, as a matter of principle I've thought to build my I've, I've sought to build my whole life on the love of God, giving and receiving his love. That is that is my primary guiding principle in life. And what shakes that principle more than anything else is my relationship with authority. So I I cannot tell you how much I struggle with this. Uh, uh, preaching this as a leader. I just, uh, the first thing that goes through my mind is, oh, Greg is preaching in a self-serving way because maybe he wants power. And as sincerely as I know how, I'm trying to be faithful to Scripture and be able to look at what Scripture has to say about our times and I concern myself not just for the church, but for our city as we exalt ourselves in defiance and deception above all authorities. And we, we raise ourselves up in defiance, thinking that we're carrying perhaps even the banner of God. But what we have in an example of Mordecai is the opposite of that. That if you want to see if you want to see the powers in Vancouver, if you want to see the, the powers in Canada change, submit to the king. Make them great. Look out for their welfare. <laughs> Does it not take faith to live that way? While, I mean, we're talking about King Xerxes, like while your people are being mistreated, honor that king. Wow. And somehow that principle, God breathes into that. And now the very person who was persecuting a people now becomes their greatest advocate and the Jews are saved. Incredible. And the people of God move forward in that nation. Incredible. Because there is a man who's not seeking self-promotion, who's understanding when to fear the king and when to fear God and works that out and he lives by those principles and talk about a turn of events. So in closing, let me ask you this question. What principles does God want you to not turn from? Principles. Not just in a moment, what do you think is the right thing to do? That's another, that's another sermon. That's also valuable. We're not preaching about that today. How will you decide to relate to authority figures? What will be, what will be your guiding? Your, your, this is true for me. 
How will you make a decision in terms of your beliefs and convictions as to when to violate that first principle? And will you see authority figures as something to use for personal gain or will you seek to make others great? Was, uh, so I'm talking to, uh, to Pastor Steve Merle this, this week and there's something in my heart that I really wanted to uh, see that I was willing to help with in, in every nation. It was just a, a thing going on and I just wanted to to, vo- to volunteer to be helpful, if that would be helpful. And so I'm telling him what I'm, what I'm thinking of doing. What, I mean, uh, what the issue is, and if you would like some help, I'd be happy to, happy to help. And I'm, I'm, so I'm watching his face as I'm describing it. And then I say, just to be clear, I'm not looking for a job. I just like to help. And I can see his face go, oh, Great. And then he immediately figures out super cool things that can happen. Because he has to know, who's this ultimately serving? Are you saying that you're serving every nation, but you really are looking? Or what's really going on? Wouldn't it be great if we could be a people that aren't about self-promotion and that we would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God? Wouldn't Wouldn't that be remarkable? Wouldn't it be remarkable when you go to work tomorrow that everybody knows about you, this is what they know about you, that you're always for the business. You're just for the business. You're always to see the business blessed and you're, and you're in with your heart not just with what you do. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't it be great that you would be known at school or work that whenever there's a moment for opportunity, you just volunteer others who you think would be really great at that and you'd like to see them become all that they are meant to be. My friends, these principles are radical life that can dramatically churn whole organizations and nations around if the people of God would grab hold of them. Can we stand together as the worship team comes forward? So, Father, we, uh, <clears throat> we gather today rallying under the sovereign authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no competing authorities. Jesus, you are Lord of heaven and earth, and we come with our knee bowed to you. And our life has been defined by who we bow to. And so we bow to you. And we thank you that in bowing to you, we have the freedom 
to bow to authority figures. We have the freedom to not grasp for power, but to make others great. And so, Father, I pray that your authority would wash through our life in such a way that our hearts would be set free from suspicion, from defiance, from deception, from conniving. Father, would you set us free as we settle in our heart as a matter of principle of who you are and of how you've asked us to relate to others. Thank you for the freedom that is found in a right relationship with authority and power.